Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. So we're in week two of our series on the book of Revelation, and last week we did some introductory things, and I want to just remind us as we look at this amazing book that we keep the big picture in mind, and the big picture of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ is Lord. That was the earliest creedal statement from the early Christians. They would say every Sunday that they gathered in worship and then they would say it all through the week. They would say it in prayer, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's what the book of Revelation reiterates. Jesus is Lord and God the Father is bringing human history to its consummation in Christ. That is what we're looking at. So we want to keep that big picture in mind over and over again so we don't get lost in all the details. Our, in, our interpretation, the way that we're approaching this, if you remember this last week and if you're new with us this week, we are looking at the book of Revelation in two ways. First, we're looking at what the text said to the original audience, aren't we? And that helps clear the deck of some of the strange interpretations that go on. We are looking at it and we're saying, what did this original, what did this letter say to the original audience? And that helps us immensely. Does anyone remember what that school of thought was that looks at the book of Revelation as a first century letter? Starts with a P. I heard someone say it, preterist. It's the preterist interpretation of the book of Revelation. There's your word for the day. So we're looking at what it says for the first century church, but we're not just leaving it there. We're also looking at what the book of Revelation is saying to us today, the application of it. Yes, we want to make sense of what it meant for them, and there are all kinds of symbols and details, and we'll be looking at the scriptural explanation of these things, but. We want to keep these things in mind. What did it say to them, and what's it saying to us? We also looked at this is a prophetic letter. It's a prophecy that was circulated and read among the seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. We'll be talking about that more. But I just want us to approach this book as prayerfully as we possibly can, to pray Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus and his work in the church. So we ask you for that, Lord, this morning, that you would reveal Jesus and his work in the church as we read this. That you would empower us to be your kingdom people and your bride. We also mentioned last week, and we're going to see it over and over again, that the book of Revelation is an act of worship. It's like the curtain is pulled back and we're getting to see not only the worship that happens around the throne, but we're seeing the kind of worship that happened in the early church. So why don't you open your Bible? You can look it up on your phone if you'd like. We'll have it on a slide, but we're gonna look at chapter one, verses one through eight. We mentioned last week that this is a letter 
And so, like other letters in the New Testament, it has a structure, and it starts with what is called a prologue, an opening word, the first words. And so, it's important to understand this. I, look, I liken the prologue to the opening of the Star Wars films. I've got a slide up here, if you want to put that. The large words that are scrolling upward, setting the stage for the story. That's what we're getting in these opening verses. So don't tune out. Don't think that a prologue is boring. It is not. It's super interesting. And if you look up here, it says episode four. It is a period of civil war. And so it's important to see, just like you wouldn't want to miss that if you're walking in to see Star Wars, and I think it was 1977, the first time Todd Blue and I got to see this, you wouldn't want to miss this, right? If you miss that scrolling, you're going to just be lost in the plot. Well, it's the same way with the opening verses of Revelation 1. You want to see the scrolling words that are coming up. And friends, it is a spiritual war that Revelation talks about. Not a physical war, but it's a spiritual war, and it describes God's victory in Jesus. And what we're gonna see as we look at this very worshipful, hopeful, prophetic letter is that it purifies our minds. It permeates our minds. It infuses our minds and our hearts with God's story, with God's images. And we need some hope right now, don't we? With everything going on in our country and in our world, it is time to be permeated by God's saga, God's epic. And so I want you to tune in this morning and think of that. I want to let the book of Revelation wash over my mind and heart to purify it, to permeate it, to give me hope, to lift my eyes up to the King of Kings. So why don't we stand? I'm gonna read verses one through eight. We're going to stand, and one reason we do this is because the early church did it. It was an ancient Jewish practice, and so when the early church gathered together, Acts 2.42 says that they would read the scriptures together. They would explain them and apply them. So Revelation 1, 1 to 8, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha 
and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. You can take a seat there. That is a multi-layered meal right there, and so we're going to take some time to look at it. What was it saying to them, and what does it say to the church in 2021? And we're going to look at three things. The first is found in verses 1 through 2, and we said this last week, but this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's not a revelation of end-time timetables. It's not a revelation of charts to figure out who the Antichrist is and when Jesus is coming back. This is a revelation of the person of Jesus, his glory, his majesty, and his work in the church. If you look there at verse 1, the revelation of Jesus, the word here is apocalypsis, it's apocalypse, and the word literally means to unveil to reveal. It's used in other places in the New Testament. And so what we have first and foremost in the book of Revelation is an unveiling of the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the power of the resurrected Jesus. And so that is what we keep before us. That's the filter through which we read the entire book. It's a prophecy that reveals Jesus and his work in the church throughout history. Now look at what, how this came about. The revelation of Jesus Christ back at verse 1, which God gave him to show his servants. Friends, it's like we get to eavesdrop on this. This is a revelation that God the Father has chosen to show his servants about his son. And so it's like we get to listen in this is a revelation from the Father who loves his Son and says you get to bring human history to its consummation. It's glorious. It's amazing to think that we get to hear that this was revealed by the Father, shown to the servants, communicated. Now, what do we do with something that says what must soon take place? This is where people, I think, begin to misinterpret the book of Revelation. Again, our first point, what was it saying to them in the first century? It was telling them that what was unfolding before their eyes had been promised by the Old Testament prophets right then. And we'll see, I mentioned this last week as well, that Revelation is filled with references and allusions to and symbols taken from the Old Testament. And what John is saying here is that what the prophet Daniel promised in chapter 2 is taking place right now. You are getting to see what Daniel the prophet prophesied. It's coming to pass in your midst right here. It's the coming of the kingdom of God, a kingdom breakthrough in the person of Jesus in his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father. It's happening now. That's what he's saying. And what we'll see time and time again, and I'll, I'll revisit this. I'm actually going to map it out so we can look at it, but prophecy is mysterious, is it not? And prophecy is what I call telescopic. What's a telescope do? 
if you look at a telescope, it's kind of fanning out and it's, it's what ends up happening in prophecy is there's a particular event, right? And then it fans out and telescopes into history with multiple fulfillments. And so what John is saying, you are seeing the beginning of multiple fulfillments. Christ has come. Christ is coming again to the churches through the Holy Spirit. And Christ will come again at the end of the age. And so every single prophecy is telescopic in its fulfillments. It's not just about one, but it's many all the way through the end. And so that's what John is, is saying here. Look at this. I call it kind of a divine chain of communication. Look at the text. What's it say? It comes from the Father to Jesus to the servants through the angel to John. And so this is showing this kind of divine chain of communication. And it's about the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We'll see John say in the next section that he actually gets exiled for speaking about the person of Jesus. The Roman Empire had had enough of his preaching, his proclamation of Jesus, and they sent him out to a remote island. We're going to see that. But what he's saying here at the beginning is, I received this. I received this from the Father through the Son by an angel, and he wanted me to bring this message to the churches. The second thing we want to see is found in verse 3. And that is, blessed are those who read and obey this prophecy. The revelation was written to be read and obeyed. Not studied in a back room where you come up with wild speculative ideas, but first and foremost, the book of Revelation is a letter that's meant to engender worship in the heart of the church. So just like we did, these eight verses, we stood up and read it. The early church originally did that. And you know what? They probably read it all the way through at times. They probably broke it into pieces, but there were moments when they read the entire 22 chapters together and experienced the whole divine drama it's meant to be read aloud. And what happens to those who read and hear it? What's it say at verse 3? You're blessed. This is kind of Christianese here, isn't it? Blessed. But friends, the word, which is used seven times in the book, there's seven moments of blessing, seven beatitudes they're called. What it means is that you are favored and graced by God himself when you read and when you hear this. And when that happens, you know what happens to you and to me? We're put into a completely different mindset. The favor of God washes over you and your mind changes. Your whole perspective changes. And so for the original audience to hear this, blessed are you. You're being baptized and immersed in the grace of God as you hear this letter. And it emboldened their soul. It emboldened their hearts. It empowered them to face what was coming. Suffering and persecution. The power of the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now something else here that I was pondering is that there's something hidden in here. Look at the verbs. You're blessed, but what are the verbs? You read it. What else? You hear it, what else? You keep what is written in it. And I think tucked right here is 
John saying, this is how you approach God through Scripture. You read it. You listen to it. And you obey it. So this is a gift to the church. Friends, we don't just crack open the Bible in the morning and check the quiet time box. We, we read it aloud. We proclaim it and preach it to our own hearts. We obey it. Just like the early church did. This is a pattern for the worshipful reading of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I can use a little bit of this right now. Even when I tune out certain media, it is still coming at me. I call it Satan's vomit. You know where I got that? The book of Revelation. Chapter 13 is going to talk about that. The dragon opens his mouth and pukes on the nations of the earth. And that's what we're experiencing right now. The media is nuts. It's out of control. It's become propaganda and it's leaving us, wherever you are on the political spectrum, looking for truth. And so I want to invite you in this moment right now, let the book of Revelation wash over your mind and your heart. The answers are not with CNN or Fox or any of the others. The answers are in God's presence, in the word of God. And so we've got to combat and counter these things weaponized propaganda aimed at us and we've got to say no now do we want to be informed i'm not saying go stick your head in the sand many of you who know me i, I read the news and all but there are moments when i say enough i'm get, i am opening the scriptures and i'm going to read it aloud and counter the puke of satan pretty graphic isn't it so god gave this revelation to show his servants can look at this later, but Amos 3.7 is a cool verse that talks about God in prophetic revelation. And it says this, surely the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And so in this letter, the Lord is saying, I'm showing my friends, I'm showing the church, I'm showing my bride what's going to take place so that they can have boldness and courage in their hearts. Now look back at the text here. It says, we hear and obey. Why? Because the time is near. And this is one of the great mysteries of the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about it at length in Matthew 13. In some ways, it looks like the kingdom really isn't breaking in. Jesus says it's like a little mustard seed that's worked into the soil. And it seems like suddenly it expands into a massive tree. Or it's like leaven that's taken and worked in to the dough. The kingdom of God is coming, is what John is saying. And it really echoes the words of Jesus from Mark 1.15. Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled. The time is now. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what John is signaling here is there is something very important in salvation history unfolding. There is a kingdom breakthrough. Pay attention to it. One commentator, a guy named David Chilton, says this. And again, he's talking about the relevance for the original hearers. And listen to what he said. John emphasizes the contemporary relevance of this prophecy, which he repeats at the end of the letter. It's going to say the same thing. The time is near. 
Listen to this, friends. This is so suitable for us. The ancient world would soon be in an uproar as kingdoms shook and crumbled to their foundations. And the Christians needed this revelation as a stable guide during the period of dramatic change which was about to come. The end of the world was approaching. Not the destruction of the physical universe, but the passing away of the old world order. So friends, this is a prophetic letter for the early church in the first century, and it's a letter for us to read and pour over to fill us with worship and courage. But we have to constantly remind ourselves, it's why one reason that the vineyard movement is so attractive is because it's built on the foundation of kingdom biblical theology. And so we talk about here, and we'll be talking about it more and more, when we read the scriptures and when we read a passage like this, we think about the already, and what's the other? The not yet. And so the kingdom of God, as mysterious as as it is, is already among us. The time was near then, it broke through in the life, death, resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and it's at work. It's permeating, it's suffusing, it's filling the nations. There's over one billion Christians over the last 2,000 years. The kingdom is at work, even if you don't see it. But not only is it already, it is not yet. And so we'll see in the coming weeks, Revelation is describing the already and the not yet of the kingdom. The third thing in this passage, it's found verses 4 through 8. Revelation is a message from the Trinity. So here we are, around 85, 90 AD, and the whole doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, has already taken root in the church. People are recognizing that the great mystery of the Christian faith, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is evidenced here. And it's written to these churches in Asia. Look at verse 4. It's written to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, it's important to recognize, and we'll look more at this in about three or four weeks. We'll look at the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, others all the way through Laodicea. But these were key churches in central locations. And we know from some historical research that they were actually key postal centers for the dissemination of information. They were all about 100 miles together from Ephesus in this horseshoe shape. And I think I have a slide up there so you can see them. See that yellow highlighted area to the center to the right? You can get a feel for where these seven churches were located. You can see the boot of Italy there on the left. So it's there in modern-day Turkey, and these were really important city centers. And so God, through John, wanted to circulate this important information, much like the postal carriers would disseminate the information by horseback. This letter was taken, and God's postal service went to work. They circulated it from church to church to church. Now, many of you know seven is an important number, an important symbol in the book of Revelation, isn't it? 
some of you know, it, it means complete. Where else can you think of the number seven as you read, study the scriptures? Where else does it show up? Heard someone say creation. That's right. It's found in numerous other places. Oftentimes, there's festivals in the Old Testament that are seven days. How many days did they mark, march around Jericho? Seven. So this is an important Old Testament theme or motif that's going to run through the book of Revelation. It appears 57 times in the book of Revelation, the number seven. In its completeness, it means fullness. And so in a symbolic way, giving this letter to these seven churches is signifying I'm giving it to the whole church for all time throughout the known world. This will make more sense as we look into a more detailed study. This is a message from the triune God, as I mentioned. So let's look at this. It's interesting. Each person of the Trinity is mentioned here. And it's interesting to note that it begins with the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at Verse, the end of verse four. Pausing, because I'm trying to think of things to highlight here. From the seven spirits who are before his throne. So we have this vision, and he's going to talk more about it at the end of this chapter. And then in chapter four, we'll have a revisit of this. But it's seven spirits that are before the throne. Now, that can be confusing. I thought it was one Holy Spirit. Well, in the Hebrew mind and in the Old Testament... There was a vivid picture. And remember, there's going to be lots of words, word images and pictures and these kinds of things. In Zechariah 4, the prophet Zechariah is seeing a vision before the throne of God. And there's a lamp with seven flames burning on it that represents the Holy Spirit. And that's the famous text that says, not by might, nor by power, but what? By my spirit. And so John is reaching back into Zechariah and pulling that image out and saying, this letter comes from the Spirit of God who burns and shines with truth before the very throne of God. Also, Isaiah 11 talks about the seven spirits of God that will rest on the Messiah so it really is speaking of the fullness of the person of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in the church. What is the message that the Spirit brings? Grace to you and peace. Again, this is reminiscent of the other New Testament letters. Grace to you and peace so that you might be empowered to trust God in what is coming. So we have the Spirit of God, and then we have the Father. Look at this in the middle of verse 6. He made us to be a kingdom, priests, to serve our God and Father. I'm trying to omit something here, so just give me one moment. So when it says that I am... Okay, just bear with me a moment here, okay? I think I... little air in my notes. Is that okay with you? 
All right, good. So we have the Spirit of God. We have the message of grace coming. We have who was and is and is to come. And from Jesus Christ, his faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. It's interesting. There's three titles of Jesus here. Let's look at Jesus. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Basically what it's saying is that Jesus is the faithful one who proclaims the message of God accurately and faithfully. He's the firstborn of the dead. And what this means, if you look back in the Psalms, especially Psalm 89, is that Christ is the firstborn, like the firstborn son in the ancient world. He's the preeminent one, the greater David. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Look at what Jesus does for us according to this letter, and he's going to unpack this. He makes us to be what? A kingdom and priests serving our God and Father. His love and his sacrifice enable us to be these things. Now, again, we could look at many things. We could drill down into it, but it's important to see John is quoting from Exodus, the book of Exodus 19.6, where God speaks at the Passover as they're leaving Egypt, and God commissions Israel and says, you are a kingdom and priests. You're a holy nation. And so in this letter, God, through the Spirit, through the Son, is turning to the church and saying, you are my kingdom people. You are a holy nation. You are priests. One of my favorite kingdom theologians, George Ladd, who greatly influenced John Wimber, listen to what he says about this. Because there is something here that needs to be noted. Ladd says this, the question here is whether the church is called a kingdom because it is people under the king or because it fulfills a kingly function. Do you catch that? So is the church a kingdom? What is at work here? Lad says this, this appears to be settled in Revelation 5.10, where Christ makes Christians a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. God's people are a kingdom, not merely because they are people over whom God reigns, but listen to this, but because they are to participate in the reign of Jesus. Friends, we're God's kingdom people. Yes, we are subject to him. He is our king. He is our Lord. We follow him, but we carry the kingdom. We mediate the kingdom to others. Amen, Addy? Why don't we say that? I am a kingdom priest. I am a kingdom priest. Friends, we wallow oftentimes. We don't realize who we are. We are filled with the presence of the kingdom. We're serving the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he makes us priests. The New Testament talks about this in other places, like 1 Peter 2, 9. We are all priests. The Holy of Holies has been opened up. We have direct access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit by the blood of Christ. That is good news. This section ends here. We've got a word from the Spirit, a word from the Son, And then the Father speaks. Verse 7 and 8 says, He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, Christ Jesus that is, even those who pierced him. And again, John is referencing the book of Daniel. 
Listen to what Daniel 7.13 says, and he is drawing directly from that. Daniel 7.13 says this, As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And so what the Apostle John is saying here is, this is Christ Jesus. This is the Messiah that Daniel saw in his vision. And he quotes from Zechariah 12, which says this, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and pleading so that they will look at me whom they've pierced and they will mourn for him like one mourning for an only son. So friends, I mentioned Christ's coming has multiple fulfillments. It's a process throughout history. I know there's a lot of theology here, but this is rich. I believe it will take root in our hearts in new ways. Christ's coming initially in his resurrection, his ascension, his coming to the church, which we'll learn more about, and his final coming, which this is referencing. Friends, he will come again. And not only Israel and the Romans that pierced him will see him and weep and mourn and wail, but it will be a universal event. Christ will be demonstrated and illustrated to be the king. And people will feel the fear of the Lord. And they'll repent and mourn and say, why didn't I see? Why didn't I give my life to him? Then this section ends here. The final phrases emphasize what Chris was singing about. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I put this up here, a symbol that the early church would have used to represent this. The Alpha and the Omega. It's like the A and the Z of the Greek alphabet. And what that represents is that God knows everything. And that in Christ, Christ is almost God's alphabet. Christ, in Christ, God reveals to us from start to finish everything that he has planned. Everything that's going to unfold throughout human history. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. Again, referencing that revelation to Moses in Exodus 3, the divine name. What did Moses hear? I am. I am who I am. And so what the text is saying here is that the great I am, the beginning and the end, the sovereign Lord of human history is at work in the person of Jesus and in his church. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes, open our minds, let revelation wash over us in the coming days. Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh vision of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If the worship team wants to come up, I want to urge you, friends, to spend daily time in the scriptures. You may already have a reading plan, but if you don't, I mentioned last week, last week why don't you consider eating the scroll of Revelation? In Revelation 10, John is told to eat the book, 
to eat the letter of the book of Revelation. So I'm inviting us in the coming weeks, why don't you consider eating the book of Revelation? Read it aloud. If you're in the dumps, you're under the grip of anxiety and these things, stand aloud, stand and read the book of Revelation aloud and see how it might go to work in you. Next week, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20, a vision of Jesus in all his glory.